This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. In Saudi Arabia, Sunday is the start of the work week, which also means the country's stock market is open. And this Sunday started off badly. So the first thing that happens is Sunday afternoon. The first market really to open was in Riyadh. Riyadh opens and Aramco crashes. Stock for Aramco, the state oil company in Saudi Arabia, cratered. And while that might seem like just one company in one place, it was the first domino to fall in what would become a massive market collapse around the world. A collapse that investing editor Jeff Rogo saw next in New Zealand. Is that because the first Monday in the world is in New Zealand? Yeah. New Zealand market comes on, it starts crashing. Oil is starting trading at that time. Oil is crashing 30%. And so you have oil, you have Dow futures, and you have the first market opening at roughly the same time on Sunday afternoon, our time. A couple of hours later... Australia starts crashing. The Australian stock exchange recording its worst day since the global financial crisis. Hong Kong, three hours later, starts crashing. In Hong Kong, down more than 4%. World markets tumbling here. Uh, Asian markets close sharply lower. And Eventually, we all go to sleep Sunday night. A little nervous, a little scared, uh, but pretty sure we're going to see a pretty ugly Monday when we wake up. And uh, it was about as ugly as I expected. By the end of the day on Monday, the Dow Jones stock index had dropped more than 7%. It's the worst one-day performance since 2008. Since peaking in February, the Dow Jones is down almost 20%. Can you put this stock market collapse into context? Just how big is this fall? Yeah, uh, you know, I've been covering the market for 16 years. This is, we're going back to days that have lived in infinity right now. We're going back to Black Friday. We're going back to Black Monday. This was a terrible day in the stock market. Today on the show, what drove one of the worst days in stock market history and what the U.S. government might do about it? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. And I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Tuesday, March 10th. By the time trading opened in the U.S. on Monday, markets fell so far and so fast that it triggered something called a circuit breaker. They're meant to sort of calm during moments of panic. So if we hit certain either up times or down times, certain gains or declines, if we reach a a level that's pre-described by uh, the exchange operators, we just shut down. Shut down as in trading stops for 15 minutes. Just like a circuit breaker in a house, if there's a surge of electricity, circuit breaker shuts and all the power goes off. Yes. But for markets to hit a circuit breaker, the selling needs to be pretty extraordinary. We didn't hit a circuit breaker during the financial crisis. And even the 2008, we did not have an 8% down day on 2008. We didn't hit a circuit breaker on May 6, 2010, when there was a flash crash. It's been since 97 since we had a circuit breaker. This is a very fast turn. And in these types of environments, the parts of the ecosystem that are sort of rattling, break. 
And parts of the economy have been rattled by one thing in particular, the coronavirus. Fear about the spread of coronavirus has worried investors. Their job is to look ahead at whether companies will make or lose money, which means they're always on the lookout for economic shocks. And coronavirus has proved to be a big shock, especially to the travel industry. So if you're an airline, like if people aren't flying on planes, I had a friend who flew from Atlanta, New York last weekend. Usually it's oversubscribed. He said there were 20% seats were full and 80% were empty. Airlines are facing that across the country and on international travel. You have hotels that are a big industry in this country, and there's a lot of towns and municipalities that survive on tourism. The drop in demand for flights has gotten so bad that this morning, four major airlines said they would be taking action. The CEO of Southwest Airlines said he'd take a 10% pay cut, while United's CEO said he'd forego his base pay entirely. And Delta, United, and American have all canceled flights. United and Delta have even offered employees unpaid leave. But while it may be obvious that travel is affected, other industries have been hit too, like oil. Over the last 15 years, U.S. oil production has spiked thanks to fracking. The U.S. is now the largest oil producer in the world. But when there's less demand for oil, like when everyone stops traveling, oil prices fall and oil companies can't make as much money. Facing that situation this weekend, two giant oil producers, Russia and Saudi Arabia, disagreed over how to respond. And that disagreement boiled over to the point where Saudi Arabia decided to go on a price-cutting streak, driving the price of oil lower and lower. Just like Walmart did across the country for two decades, lower prices so that your competitors that survive on high prices go out of business. Saudi Arabia's oil is like the Coca-Cola of the oil market. The oil that they provide is the best-in-class, number one product in oil. And they decide to cut the price of that. And when you do that, that has this massive implication across the world. With coronavirus being sort of the first straw, that was the rest of the hay barrel. This is what set off the latest market crash on Sunday. As oil prices fell, oil stocks around the world fell too. Because with an oil price war, it becomes almost impossible for U.S. oil companies to make money. And that could have a real impact on the U.S. economy. If U.S. oil producers and energy producers can't survive, that's a huge amount of jobs. That's a huge amount of the economy. That's an entire S&P 500 sector, or one of the largest sectors, that gets squeezed. So investors in the stock market weren't just reacting to the, to the price of oil falling— they were more concerned about the idea that U.S. oil companies might go bankrupt. Yes, they were reacting to the solvency of the U.S. energy industry. Wow. The U.S. energy industry can't survive at $20 and $30 oil. At $40, $50, they do okay. At $60, they make a fair bit of money. At $20 and $30, they don't exist. Oil is a reflection of the economy, and a lot of things are tied to it. You have that crashing. And it will have a massive impact on a bunch of industries that uh, employ a lot of Americans. Monday's crash really came down to two things. The fear of the economic damage the coronavirus is beginning to cause and a price war in the oil industry. Combined, those two factors added up to a 7% drop in the stock market on Monday. A very bad day. It reminded Jeff of the feeling he had on another terrible day in the stock market one of the worst days of the financial crisis. 
you know, on the Monday of that crisis, the Monday after Lehman goes under and a bunch of firms go under, the question was, can America survive? Is capitalism dead? This is not that. The financial industry behind the market is doing okay. So this, in some sense, feels more like, you know, when the dot-com bubble burst and an industry went under because of that. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Okay, so this crash is not 2008. But what about it feels similar? The uncertainty. I think that you see the same level of people trying to predict what they can't predict. We have no idea how long the coronavirus scare is going to last. In 2008 and early 2009, the government opened its checkbook to stabilize the markets and the economy, bailing out banks and the auto industry and passing major stimulus spending. Yeah, I mean, look, the government basically threw every dollar they could at the system. And they had a coordinated effort with central banks to make this happen. So the Fed's cutting rates. The Fed is finding every place it can throw money to create stability in the market. At the same time, the government is bailing out financial firms and throwing money at the AIGs of the world to get them stable. And so you have this coordinated effort from the government and the central bank to stabilize. Those efforts did seem to work in 2008. The markets eventually stopped crashing and the economy began to recover. And now, more than a decade later, in another moment of economic worry, people are beginning to ask, what could the government do now, not just to fight coronavirus, but also to stabilize the economy? Coming up, our first glimpse of the Trump administration's economic response to the coronavirus. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Welcome back. Yesterday, President Trump met with his advisors to discuss the government's response to the coronavirus outbreak, not just as a health threat, but as an economic threat. For the White House, this was a change. Over several weeks of market turmoil, it had mostly hung back. Within the White House, there was a feeling of, okay, you know, we're monitoring this, but it's very much a public health challenge. It's not an economic challenge, and it's not clear that there needs to be a fiscal response. Kate Davidson covers economic policy from Washington, D.C. And she says that after yesterday's stock plunge, that feeling changed. The president's aides were planning to present him with some economic policy response options. We were told that that might happen later this week. And then by Monday morning, it was, no, we're going to do this meeting as soon as the president gets back from Mar-a-Lago this afternoon. 
Thank you very much. We just attended a, a very important task force meeting on the virus. After that meeting, President Trump shared some of those policy ideas for the first time. The biggest was a possible cut to payroll taxes. The payroll tax is a tax on workers' earnings that goes towards Social Security and Medicare costs. We don't know the details, but the Trump administration has said they're considering some kind of cut to those taxes that could last for a month, it could last for a year. The idea is lowering the payroll tax will give workers' paychecks a boost. It will put more money in their pockets so they can go out and they can spend it, and that will help businesses, and that will hopefully have an effect on overall economic growth should it falter amid this this spreading virus. We don't know the contours yet exactly, but it could be up to $80 billion a month. A month? Wow. Yeah, that would be, you know, going into the economy. So it's huge. That $80 billion number, that's an upper limit. And a payroll tax cut would require congressional approval. But cutting payroll taxes wasn't the only idea Trump floated. He also mentioned help for hourly workers, which could come in the form of paid sick leave. I mean, how would that actually work? Would it be that they were going to require companies to pay their workers paid sick leave? Or would it be that the government would be the one to supply money to workers who aren't getting paid by their companies? Yeah, that's a really good question. We were calling around asking people what are some of the options that they could do. Uh, The way that one economist framed it to me was, well, you know, setting up a fund for employers who could sort of tap this uh, so that they could keep paying their workers. I don't know if that's what they're envisioning or if they're envisioning some way to pay workers directly. I'm not totally sure. Trump also mentioned working with specific industries to help weather the turmoil, industries like airlines, cruises, and hotels. And the U.S. made some moves today to try and boost oil prices to help U.S. oil companies. On the scale of no government intervention to, say, 2008-style bailouts, where do you think that these proposals fall? Hmm. I think, you know, somewhere in the middle. It's not nothing. And we, of course, I can't say this enough, you know, we haven't seen the details. A payroll tax cut could be very, very large. But we're not seeing the kind of rescue packages that we saw for banks or the auto industry in 2008. Definitely not there yet. If the economic threat gets worse from the coronavirus outbreak and more businesses start to close or workers get laid off, Is there more that the government can do? And if so, what would more look like? Yeah, there's definitely more that they can do. They could send checks to people, direct stimulus checks. That's something that they're doing right now, I believe, in Hong Kong, sending checks to people for about $1,200. Something like that is really unpalatable for White House officials. They just don't see it as being that helpful if people are staying home. An extra $500, $1,000 is not going to make them go on vacation if they're worried about flying because they don't want to get sick. There's been a lot of talk about whether the government has been prepared to handle the virus from a public health perspective. But how, how prepared do you think we are to fight this from an economic perspective? On the one hand... The economy is very resilient. The U.S. economy is doing better in a much better position coming into this than a lot of other countries around the world. On the other hand, there is high and rising government debt following um, tax cuts in 2017 and big government spending. And spending during, during an emergency, I mean, generally, folks argue that 
the government should spend to do what it needs to do to respond to a crisis, to respond to an emergency. But we know from research that what often happens is that politicians, they tend to not go as big and be as big and bold as as perhaps they should be if debt to GDP is already very high. Politicians could get nervous. They might not want to take big fiscal action, have a big response from the government, big spending package or big tax cut because they're they're nervous about debt levels getting higher. And I think that there are people right now who are arguing, look, that's really not a factor. It is so cheap to borrow money right now for the government. Nothing should hold us back. On Wall Street, the moves made by the Trump administration on Tuesday seem to encourage some investors. The market swung up and down wildly throughout the day, but it ended the day up by almost 5%. But in the midst of a downturn, when it's all happening, it can be hard to know what level of intervention is required and what's working, whether you're doing too much or not enough. Our colleague, Jeff Rogo, saw that in 2008. We are right now knee-deep in this problem. And if things go the way they've gone historically, we will at some point reach an equilibrium, things will stabilize, the economy will recover, and we'll be in better shape. It's tough to see that when you're in the middle of the storm. And right now, we are very much in the middle of the storm. That's all for today. Tuesday, March 10th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.